This hour of the Jason Rancho is brought to you by my appearance tomorrow on Fox and Friends, which is at an ungodly hour of 4.15. Mostly I'm doing it for the eyes on the East Coast and because I'm doing Brian a favor. Brian Kilmead, I like him. He's a friend of the show. It's like 11 hours from now. I know. I gotta go to bed in like 45 minutes, basically. So I might sleep through the last segment of the show. Uh, If you don't want to watch it live, because... I mean, I barely want to do it live. I hate it when you do these early morning ones because oh. you get zero sleep. You come in the next day. You so yell angry. at me because you got no yep. sleep. You tell me to do all the prep, yep. and then you just get mad at me for every yep. little thing, even though I do everything perfect because I'm the best. Well, that's definitely never the, been the case literally any day of your career here at Bonneville, Seattle, so I don't know what you're talking Did you get no sleep again last night? No! Maybe I then. didn't. I'm so tired. Uh, but if you want to watch that after it airs, I'll post it on twitter.com slash Jason Rants. Push that button. What's trending? National. So impeachment starts tomorrow, 10 a.m. our time. For four hours, you will hear debates on the constitutionality of this impeachment. The question comes as to whether or not you can impeach a president who's no longer in office. Republicans say no. Democrats say yes. Senator Tom Cotton says this. I'll say, though, as I've said now for a month, that I think it's beyond the Senate's constitutional authority to have an impeachment proceeding, the point of which is to convict and remove from office a man who left office three weeks ago. I think it's also a, a set of misplaced priorities. The Democrats continue to obsess about Donald Trump when Donald Trump left office and went to Florida three weeks ago when the Senate should be focused on things like how to expand vaccine production and distribute it more quickly. Those are the priorities the American people want us to focus on, not an inquest into who is now a private citizen. So I don't support impeachment. I hope, think, he will be acquitted. However, I do acknowledge that the Democrats on the constitutionality question have a strong case, or at least I haven't heard a good case coming from our side yet as to why you can't impeach at this point. Simply saying that he's no longer in office isn't a valid argument to me because the Democrats have come back and essentially said, well, if that's the case, then what's to stop any president Republican or Democrat from the night before January 20th when they're out of office from going on a uh, a spree of just breaking a whole bunch of laws. I think that that is a valid argument. I think that's a fair argument. And I think it's fair because I don't want a Democratic president to do that. When Joe Biden loses in four years and we get a new Republican president, wouldn't you want to impeach Joe Biden if he breaks a whole bunch of laws before leaving the White House? Wouldn't you at least want that option? Should he do that? I don't know if I would go all in and impeach. I suppose it depends on what happened. Because I do think that impeachments can tear a country apart, especially when there's already division. But I want that option. And so I do think that Republicans need to do a better job answering to that legitimate concern. And I do think that your average person would respond the same way. That said, the impeachment argument itself on the insurrection is bogus, is nonsense. The president didn't tell people to lay lay siege to the Capitol. He didn't tell an army of people 
to storm the Capitol and go ahead and kill a whole bunch of members of Congress. We know that that's nonsense. And any Democrat who dares to say that should feel ashamed. Just go ahead and say you don't like the guy you wanted to do this because as someone who is just obsessed to borrow a talking point, and it is a talking point, from the right... You just wanted him to go down in history as the only president, the first president, to be impeached twice. Just be honest. That's what that's what fueled the second impeachment. Me saying that doesn't dismiss the severity of what happened. The riot was a stain on our history. Nothing is going to change that. And to be clear, the president will always be remembered by that. That's going to be a part of his history. Even if he didn't directly cause it, his speech did play a role in that a bunch of crazy people took it to mean that doesn't mean that was his intent. And I'm not going to pretend that it was. Even if I didn't like the speech, because I think it was built on a lie, a lie that some crazy people believed. But it wasn't impeachable. A speech is not impeachable. Even his claims are not impeachable. It's protected speech, period. Democrats are, in fact, obsessed. And that's why the Republicans have chosen that word, obsessed, as a talking point to use over and over and over again. You're going to hear this for the next week or so, over and over and over again. Jim Jordan, congressman on Fox. This is an obsession with them, Judge. Never forget, they tried to remove him from office before he got there. Now they're trying to remove him from office after he's left. So the president's going to be acquitted. I mean, the, the case is so strong for the president. On constitutional grounds, he wins. On due process, lack of due process grounds, he wins it on the facts. I mean, think about this. You know, Again, they're trying to remove someone from office who's already left. There's a reason the chief justice is not presiding because there's, no, there's not a president who's under investigation here who is under trial so the, the the constitution the president wins the lack of due process i mean what they, this is matt gates said it best this is impeachment by reflex now i, I want to respond to a text message we got from the 253 and by the way you can weigh in at any point at 1-800-498-6 i just almost gave his number wow <laughs> well because i'm looking at his number too at the same time i've got a lot of you talk for a living don't read other numbers when you're trying to say a different number one eight hundred four six five eight seven seventy. That was beautiful. Thank you. One eight hundred four six five eight seven seven. If you want to send me a text, and I, I don't know uh, this person's name, but it says if we can impeach a private citizen, why can't you be impeached so you can't run for office? Why not impeach Obama so he can't run for some other office? This opens up a dangerous precedent. Now I think that that would be a very fair response. Very fair response. If the impeachment hearing did not start when Trump was in office. Because I do think that that matters here. The president was in office when everything started. The House impeachment occurred. They did it. I don't think it was a fair hearing, to be clear. They didn't call any witnesses. They rushed it. They did it within 10 minutes. They had already figured out what they were going to do. Although, to be fair, Republicans already also know what they're going to do right now. But that was done when the president was in office. And that's Dave, by the way, who sent that text. So I do think that that is the difference here. Now, would I take that position if the House had done nothing at the time? No, maybe not. But again, I do think that there is a valid argument to be said of if the president 
on January 19th decided just to break a whole bunch of laws, what is the punishment? No impeachment? You have to give me an answer to that, a constitutional response to that, and I'm open to it. But I don't know what that is, and I haven't heard that yet. And Republicans have not have not provided that yet. At least not one that's caught my attention. Maybe they're saying it, but if it's not cutting through all the other stuff that's out there, then that obviously is a, a problem. Now, of course, tomorrow we'll be paying close attention when it starts at 10 a.m. our time. The following days will be lots of hours of both sides making their case. We got the rules today. Both sides... The impeachment managers on the left and the Trump legal team will get up to 16 hours each to present their cases. They have the option for a debate and a vote to call witnesses if the House impeachment managers seek it. I think that that would be a huge mistake. We shall see if they make that mistake. That all starts on Wednesday at 9 a.m. our time. Now, after the 16 hours both sides get are used up, that's when the senators can ask questions to both of the legal teams. They will also have 16 hours to do that. We do know that there's going to be a break on Friday and Saturday. You can thank my people for giving you a little bit of a break. Because the attorney for the president, David Schoen, is an observant Jew who will not participate during the Sabbath. So he asked for that time off. They gave him that break. So 5 p.m. Eastern on Friday through Sunday morning, there will be nothing going on. So that's good. We get a little bit of a break. So it'll reconvene on Sunday. Now, I don't know of all the 16 hours that they use. I don't know how it's going to come down. I imagine that you'll get two days of about eight hours each. Maybe not quite eight hours, maybe a little bit more on one day, less so on the other. We will see what ends up happening. But if it's happening during the show, we will be carrying it live. And for the most part, uninterrupted, because it is an important part of our history. And I do think it's important to hear the craziness coming from the left and the smart defense coming from the right. So we'll be carrying that when it happens. Probably not tomorrow because I am, there's only four hours of that debate. So it's unlikely to impact this show. But afterwards, we'll be carrying it all. 1-800-465-8770. If you want to send me a text message, 1-800-465-8770. When we come back, Lorena Gonzalez, Seattle City Council member, wants to pretend that she's been calling out Black Lives Matter violence and Antifa violence this entire time, which is weird because I've been covering it this entire time. She hasn't said anything. We're going to get to that and so much more. If you text the keyword rants, R-A-N-T-Z, to 1-800-465-8770, I'll send you a link to my latest blog. I think you will find this amusing in that a huge misunderstanding sparked a massive rumor in Seattle that sex workers were going to get to jump the line for COVID vaccines. And then when it was discovered that it was just that a misunderstanding, conservative media got blamed for preventing sex workers from getting the vaccine and when they say conservative media they mean me so i got blamed for preventing sex workers from getting their vaccines that they weren't supposed to get to begin with it's a lot of drama text the keyword rants r-a-n-t-z to 1-800-465-8770 and i'll send you a link let's find out what else is trending what's trending in seattle so 
Lorena Gonzalez is the Seattle council member who is running for mayor, former president of the council. And she is trying to moderate her tone, her views. After years of being very far to the left. But she wants to trick people into voting for her. Because she's probably getting a greater sense that the people of Seattle maybe don't want an ideologue in office. But that's exactly what she is. So she decided to do an interview with Brandy Cruz on Q13. Brandy's show is called The Divide. It's outstanding. You should watch it. And she's just straight up lying about her past actions in quote-unquote, condemning the violence. Why was it so difficult for you guys just to come out and say, look, we support the peaceful protesters with an important message, but we don't support the violence and vandalism? Mm -hmm. Why was that such a challenge? I I can't speak for other council members. I can only speak for myself. Okay, why was it a challenge for you? You'll have to to talk to other people about sort of... Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take responsibility for the full council because we're all independently elected officials. Why was it challenging for you? you, I'll tell you from my perspective um, what what I think is really important. I I don't support violence or acts of violence as a as a tactic. Um, and um, and I did make some statements um, about how I don't support those kind of tactics. And I also made statements pleading people to keep the peace. And um, and and that is that is something that I truly believe just real quick and i'll let her finish for a moment do you remember any of this do you remember her comments playing for people to keep the peace no have you pulled any and just not told me nope because i want to play it no she didn't say i it. mean if, if i'm being honest i went back and checked my email because i get all the press releases couldn't find any I'm confident in few things. I'm confident in this. I found an email, though, that I sent to the communications director for the council a few emails after the Antifa lunatics decided to use quick dry cement to seal shut the door to the East Precinct on Capitol Hill while simultaneously trying to burn it to the ground with cops inside. And I asked... For a comment to which I got no response. And then I asked for a comment again with a follow-up to which we got none. So, okay, I just, we'll, we'll, we'll let her finish. Leave. I come from a protest movement. I come from the immigrant rights movement. That's how I got involved in civic life um, to begin with. So I understand deeply how important it is for people to be able to express peacefully their First Amendment rights. But I don't believe that it is good for our movements to destroy property and to destroy each other and to destroy neighborhoods. Interesting. I just, it's just, I wish she would have actually done that. And kudos to Brandy for calling this nonsense out. Following our interview, we gave her campaign a chance to provide examples of instances where Gonzalez spoke out publicly about criminal unrest. Her campaign did offer two examples of her condemning violence directly once after the riot on May 30th in downtown Seattle. She wrote in a statement that focused mostly on investigating the actions of police. (laughs) And by the way, this was before all the Antifa violence. This was the George Floyd-inspired riot night number one. Just for context. 
And as you just heard from Brandy, focused on police. We ask that people who are still downtown, please go home. We do not want additional escalation, nor to learn of more injuries, whether to protesters or first responders. Two days later, she again urged an end to violence, but seemed to target her words at the police in particular. Many of us are survivors of this system of oppression. And what I saw this weekend was a manifestation of that frustration and that anger. And it's up to us to figure out how we can express our frustration in a way that will have systemic change. And there's a lot of different ways that that can look and a lot of different shapes that that can take. And I just hope that we can encourage each other to hold each other in community, to not subject each other to additional acts of violence and trauma, and to hold those who do engage in violence Um, especially if they have a badge accountable that that's okay wow that's just that's hardcore condemnation of the violence i mean it's not hardcore condemnation of the violence but i mean i'll go with it and pretend so the, the question is will other outlets and other reporters allow lorena gonzalez to get away with that lie that narrative and that's what it is it is a lie it is a narrative she knows it and reporters who are being honest will know it but reporters in the city don't always do a good job about pushing back against progressivism and socialism because you need to have access to these candidates right and if you push back too hard you won't gain access. You'll get shut out. Especially on this council. And there are plenty of reporters in this city who will do whatever these council members tell them to do and take whatever line that they're offered because they just want the access. So we'll see if there's anyone else out there brave enough to take them on. But usually what ends up happening is they'll do a... Puff piece of an interview, essentially a feature with Lorena Gonzalez or whomever. Then they'll go to to uh, Marco Lowe, the uh, professor over at Seattle University, who's a hardcore progressive activist, basically. Go look at his Twitter profile, who will say glowing things about whomever the progressive candidate is. And then they'll pretend that that was somehow a meaningful discussion on the campaign. It's pretty embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. And it's a big part of the reason why we get the same people in power so often. And so I hope people are paying attention to this because you're not going to get it from most media outlets. Not all, and not all reporters. Some reporters are really good. Brandy is a great example of that. I mean, I'm a great example, too. I don't get the respect here because I'm a conservative. You don't deserve respect. You're not a journalist. You're a conservative. Okay. Jason Rancho on AM 770 KTTH and 94.5 FM on the greater east side. Two cities now here in Washington have moved forward with grocery store pay that's being labeled as hazard pay during the coronavirus pandemic in Seattle. Grocery store workers in certain stores would get $4 an hour 
increase over what they currently make. And in Burien, they're going one step forward with $5 an hour. The Washington Food Industry Association is now suing to make it stop. Joining me on the line is the CEO of the WFIA, Tammy Hetrick. Tammy, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Jason. So, let's afternoon. Yeah, so we're a little a little far removed for the uh, morning. So, uh, although at this point, with all the stress, I'm sure you don't realize what time it is. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you're you're not taking a position that grocery store workers aren't working hard and they're not, you know, taking a, at least a little bit of a risk going to work as quote unquote frontline workers. You're just taking a position that the way that this legislation is being written just puts grocery stores in an unfair competitive space. Right, Jason, that's that's the point is, you know, we respect our workers. They are amazing. You know, most of them are considered family at these stores. And so it has nothing to do with that. It's just how it's being applied. We have many different employees out there working, you know, during this time, and it's odd to this single one industry out. But I am told by politicians in Seattle and now Burien that the grocery stores are just raking in millions and millions and millions in profits. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, a great uh, question to ask me because they're basing this on a national study and really what we're seeing happen in Seattle is totally opposite. You know, aside from increased costs for cleaning and everything else, and we also have no tourism to speak mm-hmm. of. People are not working downtown, so we have decreased sales because those employees aren't there. And, um, you know, just all of those things and increased losses. So theft is up. Yeah, what's what's maddening about this is when they look at national studies in particular, they also count stores like Walmart, for example. And, you know, you're talking about grocery stores that are not Walmart. Walmart sells way more than just groceries. But when you go to the QFC or Safeway, for example, yeah, they sell a little bit more. But it, it tends to be that those products beyond the groceries are not actually being sold. I know that gas, for example, purchases are down, clothing purchases are down, which, of course, is going to hit some of those grocery stores. And, of course, Fred Meyer, for example, that's going to hit them especially hard. Right. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. You know, just the climate in Washington is different. And to base that study on something that has nothing to do with our state is, is very concerning. So the lawsuit was filed or announced after the Seattle action. Burien today is taking up the $5 an hour. Is similar action going to be taken against the city of Burien? Well, you know, I don't know that any decisions have been made. Burien has changed their ordinance. Um, Their ordinance is different than Seattle. It actually goes down to 20 employees, which, you know, for a grocery store, that's not uncommon. We have seven days a week and, you know, several shifts to fill just to keep our doors open. So this ordinance actually will impact even more of our grocers, our independent grocers. So it's a huge concern. So how much of a competitive disadvantage is it right now for the grocery stores and how much of a financial impact do you think this is going to ultimately have on them? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And Jason, when I calculated out just 21 employees for a store in Burien, you know, that equates to almost $19,000 a month extra. I mean, that's just, that's just money they don't have. Now they're trying to invest in online and, mm-hmm. and delivery and all these other things aside from cleaning and just making sure that they're keeping their employees and customers safe. Now those are our top priorities. So a cost like that, you know, will have to be absorbed somewhere and it will mean changes in that business model. Just joining me, I'm talking with CEO Tammy Hetrick of the Washington Food Industry Association, which is suing the city of Seattle, potentially the city of Burien, after legislation has been moved for extra hazard pay for grocery employees, although only certain grocery employees would be impacted in the city of Seattle, as well as the city of Burien, 4 and $5 an hour increase apiece, although the uh, increase in pay is not being extended to other, quote-unquote, essential workers in either of those cities. You know, when you look at what's going on, in particular, the city of Seattle, you sort of uh, dinged at the council for not reaching out to you guys at all. Right. Yes. Now, had we been able to talk through this and, you know, work through what their real concerns were, I mean, vaccination is really where we need to be looking. I have addressed this with the governor's office. And again, in you know the documents I sent to the city of Seattle, you know we need to prioritize vaccinations for grocery workers, and so you know that's how we help people continue to work safely. Well, okay, so let me push back a little bit on that because I've, I've pushed back on the same line from teachers' unions. I, I, I yeah. certainly have no problem with someone who's you know sixty-five plus or in a vulnerable. Uh, demographic getting a shot earlier than others, uh, according to the Faison program. But what's the argument that, say, a you know a twenty six year old otherwise healthy person who happens to work at a grocery store should get in front of someone else for a vaccine? Well, I, I guess it's the same question for why we're choosing one industry for hazard pay over everyone else. When, you know, everybody's out there and we're taking a risk. So I think they kind of tie together. You know, if if we're going to say this industry needs to pay money because of the hazard, then, you know... But is your position conditional? Uh, so, so is your position conditional? Meaning, the only reason you're taking that position of of the vaccination jumping the line, as it were, and those are my words, is because the the city <laughs> is essentially saying it, it is so dangerous. Apparently, that you have to spend an extra four or five dollars an hour per employee. You're saying, okay, well then, give us the vaccines and get rid of the hazard pay. Well, I do think they go hand in hand to some extent. You know, we have been touting that we have very safe workplaces. When you look at the statistics, you know, grocery workers are among the lowest of exposures. I mean, you have government employees, you have a lot of others that are above them as far as exposures go. So I think our our stores are really trying to do a, a good job of protecting them you know, until we can get the vaccination. Yeah, and they very clearly are. And I think it was Councilmember Teresa Mosqueda in Seattle had made the point when this was all announced that grocery workers are going into the store and customers are coughing in their face, which is just like, no, that is not happening. You still are wearing a mask going into a grocery. It is just so over the top. Do you think this is really about COVID or do you think that this is about something more, maybe union pressure getting involved? 
Well, I guess I would just point to, you know, our lawsuit and, and the two things that we identified is, you know, first they're singling grocery stores out and ignoring other, you know, frontline workers. But then secondly, you know, it's preempted by Federal National Labor Relations Act, which protects the integrity of the collective bargaining process. And so the city council has inserted itself into this collective bargaining process. Yeah. So, so is that a is that a roundabout way of saying yes? You think that there are union interests involved here? Well, I think, and that's been clear. They've they've said that, you know, that this was done through uh, USCW. Yeah. Exactly. Which, by the way, some union members did, in fact, get vaccinated ahead of others who are considerably more vulnerable and they weren't able to jump the line the same way. We've been talking with the CEO of the Washington Food Industry Association, Tammy Hetrick. Thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate uh, giving us a little bit of the info behind the scenes of what's been going on and uh, a little bit of a look at the lawsuit. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely, Jason. Always great to talk to you. Have a great day. Thank you. You as well. You're listening to The Jason Rants Show. When we come back, speaking of taking you behind the scenes, I'll take you behind the scenes of the latest Antifa riot in Tacoma, telling you exactly how Antifa uses Twitter and social media in general to go after media members. I stopped by Fox News and the Faulkner Focus to give her the scoop. We'll play for you when we come back. Welcome back to the Jason Rand Show on this Monday afternoon. Don't forget, impeachment trial starts tomorrow morning. We expect it all to get underway at about 10 a.m. when the Rush Limbaugh Show is underway. I believe Todd Herman is filling in tomorrow. So he will be having live coverage into the Michael Medved show. And of course, we'll continue the live coverage as it were, depending on where they are, if they're still going on at three o'clock when we start. Now, we'll be keeping an eye on it all tomorrow because there are some considerable implications to impeaching a president who is no longer in office, impeaching a president as it relates to protected speech, or at least speech that I believe to be protected. We don't expect there to be enough defections from the Republican Party that he's going to be convicted. So this all becomes essentially political theater. And in a lot of ways, that's how you can describe some of the rioting from the left. Whether we're talking about rioting coming out of the BLM movement, be it Antifa rioting, or a riot that happened over the weekend in St. Louis. We talked about it a little bit earlier on in the show with prisoners who are pretending to be upset with the protections they're being offered against covid so upset that they decided to burn a whole bunch of things and then assault a officer. Now, in that case, they had some political theater in the form of defense coming from Cori Bush, a congresswoman, a member of the squad. Well, I had the opportunity to talk about it with Harris Faulkner on the Faulkner Focus on Fox News. Clashes erupting between Antifa and police in Washington, D.C. Protesters even threatening to burn down the city. 
This as new squad member Cori Bush, who criticized the U.S. Capitol rioters, now comes under fire for comments she made about an inmate uprising at a St. Louis jail over the weekend. The congresswoman defended those rioters, tweeting, a riot is the language of the unheard. Dr. MLK Jr., I want to talk to my constituents in the window. Their lives and their rights must be protected. My team and I, she says, are working to ensure that the urgent needs of people who are incarcerated are not ignored. End of her tweet there on it. Jason Rance is a Seattle radio talk show host who has witnessed Antifa rioting firsthand uh, in his own area. And it's from that perspective that you can look at this and say, what? Well, I can look at it and say that Cori Bush is a total fraud, uh, unless suddenly she's decided to change her position on impeachment. What we've seen for so long is that Democrats who have stayed silent on BLM-related violence and Antifa rioting is that they condone the violence when it serves a political purpose that they can get behind. The second that there's any violence that could threaten their power or a position that they take, well, all of a sudden, it's the end of the world. All of us should be condemning all political violence, period, because political violence begets more political violence. When you take any yes. position that says, well, okay, we can justify this, well, guess what? Anyone can justify political violence. That's why they turn to political violence. And I don't think it takes a deep thinker. So in other words, anyone from the squad can figure this out. Anyone can just say, well, I'm going to go ahead and do this. That's a dangerous line of thinking. And we saw it in St. Louis. And obviously, we saw it yet again in D.C. I want to move to something that you wrote yesterday, an op-ed. And in it, Jason, you were explaining how Antifa uses Twitter to threaten you and the media. Quote, Democrats don't even acknowledge Antifa exists, let alone lobby Twitter to take action. Consequently, media members are at risk when we bring you images of Antifa anarchy. End quote. Why do you say that? Why would you write that? Yeah, so what ends up happening is someone who actually goes into the Antifa mobs to try to get a better sense of what's going on, they've got scouts that are there on the ground trying to make sure that people like me don't actually film their vandalism. But what ends up happening on Twitter primarily is that there are folks who are mining Twitter to see whether or not people like me are posting videos that show faces of people who are committing uh, vandalism or worse. What they end up doing is they will send out images and hashtag uh, with certain keywords that folks on the ground are paying attention to and monitoring, showing your name, showing your photo, and telling people that they are, you are there in the crowd. They do that with the intent of getting folks who are there to harass you, to threaten you, and I've seen it happen. When I was in Tacoma at the riot, it happened to me specifically, where someone had said that I'm there filming people's faces as they're vandalizing. Now, to be clear, I was. I 100% was there filming people who were breaking storefronts and burning flags. That is part of our job. Trading that crimes. is actually well, a story. The last one isn't a crime. Yeah. Well, the last one wasn't so, a crime, but when you're going ahead and committing these kinds of vandalism, we have the right to film and we should be highlighting it. So, so Jason, we call them anarchists because they are. What is the end goal here? They, are they le legitimately trying to undo what we have as America? And why would they think that they can't? 
So, so th- there's, it's kind of interesting because there's a lot of different thinking behind some of these folks. Some people do it just because they want to. They like to see the chaos. There are others who believe that they need to tear down the systems that we have, systems that they believe are systems built on white supremacy mm. and built upon oppression, and they have to rebuild them in an image that they personally approve of. The reason why they feel like they can do it is because, let's be clear, they've been allowed to do it. These things don't happen in a bubble. They've been happening for a matter of eight to nine months now with little consequences. You've got cities attorney all around the country who have not been prosecuting these crimes. You've got politicians like a Cory Bush who go ahead and defend them. And you've got no political will coming from Democrats to call them out with any sense of consistency. It doesn't just happen in, in this bubble. It's happening over and over and over again. Jason Rance, always appreciate you on the program. Thank you very much. If you want to watch that video, you can check it out at twitter.com slash Jason Rance. If you want to watch more of me because you just can't get enough, I will be on Fox and Friends tomorrow morning very, very, very early. So you're not going to want to watch it live because you'll probably be in bed. But if you happen to be one of those people who's up at ungodly hours, I'll be on at about 4.15 a.m. our time. I'm doing it for the East Coast audience. But of course, we'll have the video up and online on my Twitter feed at twitter.com slash Jason Rance. I really do appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you, as always. Coming up next, Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro. 